The word idealist these days is rarely used as a compliment. In fact, it is often a pejorative way to demean someone's ideas of how the world ought to be by implying that they are naive or oversimplistic. We believe what we can imagine and what we can achieve are very different things, especially when this maxim is applied to the jury field of politics. The person I'm talking about today would not view themselves as an idealist. Instead, they would describe themselves as consistent. If Auburn Herbert was anything, it was consistent. His political philosophy was one which celebrated life and freedom in all forms. Our natural ownership of ourselves gives us a moral right to pursue our own life and our own happiness, but also the corresponding duty to allow others to do the same. This means that coercive state is out of the question entirely. The unlimited ability through coercion to encroach upon natural rights of others means that the coercive state is a constant threat to liberty. But this encroachment spews over into other areas, stifling creativity, individuality, and progress. This can only be solved in Auburn's opinion by applying the system of voluntarism, a system of politics centering around the importance of consent and emphasizing the values of liberty, peace, and friendliness. But I'm getting ahead of myself. It's best to start with Auburn's life and see how he came to his conclusions in politics. Auburn Edward William Molyneux Herbert was born in London in 1838, and if you couldn't guess from his name, he was born into a wealthy aristocratic family. When he was 21, he served as a lieutenant in the British Army for two years. After returning from his lieutenantship, he attended Oxford for a bachelorship in civil law, and by 1865 he completed his studies and gained a doctorate. Auburn started his political journey as a conservative. In Oxford, he founded two debating societies, wrote for conservative outlets, and even ran as a conservative MP in the general election of 1865. But Herbert's conservatism waned quickly. By 1870, he was running as an MP for the Liberal Party and was successful in being elected. Acting as a Liberal member until the dissolving of the party in 1874, Auburn used his platform to articulate what was then radical ideas, including female suffrage, the unionization of agricultural workers, and non-sectarian education. Throughout his time in both education and politics, Auburn observed a number of conflicts. In his time as a lieutenant, Auburn witnessed the aftermath of a failed Indian mutiny, giving an insight into life under colonial government. In 1864, he visited the locus of the Prusso-Danish War. He took part in a skirmish as a non-combatant, volunteering with a stretcher and retrieving wounded soldiers under fire. For his selfless bravery, he was awarded a knightship. In the same year, he also observed the American Civil War and accompanied the Union Army. In 1871, he completed his military odyssey with the Franco-Prussian War, in which Herbert was affiliated with the Red Cross. Herbert found himself drifting away from traditional politics and toward a system he would later call voluntarism. His experience of international conflict, his career as a politician, and his introduction to the thought of Herbert Spencer were pivotal moments in the development of his political thought. His exposure to increasing levels of conflict in Europe brought with it an aversion to violence and jingoism. Because of this, Auburn would go on to later treat war as a large-scale crime, which is nothing more than mischievous folly. Auburn's time in politics further contributed to a developing cynicism around the state. The late 19th century was a time of rapidly increasing rates of state intervention into the ins and outs of Victorian life. Auburn described the political establishment of his day as the Great Machine, which he believed was a slaughterhouse where ideals of justice and equity went to die. The state was not facilitating progress. It was in fact hampering the flourishing of its citizens. Even with well-intentioned politicians, Auburn no longer believed that the great machine could manufacture the life of a nation, could endow it out of the hand with happiness, wisdom and prosperity, and clothe it in all the virtues. 
In Oberon's eyes, the state was nothing more than smoke and mirrors. Restraint, compulsion, and gifts of public money to interest groups were the tools of the state. But these tools of state efficiency were, in Oberon's eyes, constantly failing to achieve their intended ends. As state efforts became increasingly more complex, and a large-scale new class of administrative professionals came to the forefront, an entrenched bureaucracy had taken root in England, one which Oberon personally loathed. Herbert Spencer is one of the most foremost political thinkers of the Victorian era. Influenced deeply by the writings of Charles Darwin on evolution, Herbert Spencer devised a theory of human progress which used evolution as its guiding principle. Evolution requires experimentation in numerous different directions with often unforeseeable consequences. The state was not an essential institution for human progress, and in fact it was often at odds with progress. But Spencer's radicalism slowly deteriorated into crusty old conservatism with smatterings of pessimism. But Auburn was captivated by Spencer's earlier writings and approach to politics. Spencer had fleshed out the sociological and scientific underpinnings of the desirability of freedom. Auburn now felt it was his duty to sketch the moral argument. Auburn's mixed assessment of the state radically altered, and he began to lose all faith in it as a viable institution. Recounting his awakening when reading Spencer, he explained he had lost faith in the great machine, and saw that thinking and acting for others always hindered, not helped real progress that all forms of compulsion deadened the living forces within a nation. Auburn's experience with war and politics and his introduction to Herbert Spencer showed him that there was an alternative to the state. He did not have to sit miserably twiddling his thumbs over the futility of it all. Instead, Auburn decided to wholly dedicate himself to expanding the principles of a free society built on what he called voluntarism. He prolifically wrote and spoke at a variety of venues to spread his ideas, but Auburn was by no means an armchair activist who sat locked away in a study. In 1877, Auburn organized the Personal Rights and Self-Help Association. He was also a chief organizer in the anti-war rallies in Hyde Park against the brewing war with Russia. He deeply opposed British colonialism, a rare thing for a man of aristocratic background to do. He also opposed intervention in foreign countries such as Egypt and called for the self-determination in colonies such as Ireland. On top of all this, he published a first weekly but then monthly paper entitled Free Life, which was a publication which sought to assess the ills of society by looking at their root cause, namely the state, which is a mere perpetuation of slavery under new names against which the reason and moral sense of the civilized world have been called into rebellion. Auburn's political thought was never fully and systematically written down in all one place, but is instead spread through a number of essays, pamphlets and speeches, the foremost of which in my mind is the right and wrong of compulsion by the state. Despite the lack of a particular magnum opus, fully delving into his thought, Auburn was consistent throughout his writings, always evoking the same foundational principles for every argument he made, that coercion was limited to the protection of one's rights and could not justifiably be used for any other purpose without destroying the axiomatic rights of others. Auburn's political theory begins with the intuitive axiom that we own ourselves. Our mind, body and labour all irrevocably belong to us. Auburn believed that everyone owned themselves, and because of this, they had the right to do whatever they wished with their minds, body, or property, as long as they had justly acquired it. For Abron, every man and woman should be held by us all, sacredly and religiously, to be the one true owner of his or her faculties. This is not an ambiguous topic in Abron's mind. He states that the pure, critical reason obliges us to believe in self-ownership. But the self-ownership we have over ourselves is not an unlimited license to do anything we please. The rights of others must be respected. Coercion being used by one against another is completely unacceptable, as it substitutes the preferences and conscience of one with another. Auburn reasoned, no man can have rights over another man unless he first have rights over himself. He cannot possess the rights to direct the happiness of another man 
unless he possesses the right to direct his own happiness. If we're granted the latter right, this is at once fatal to the former. This moral law is the precondition for civilized life. Even if paternalistic intervention might help some people in certain situations, it undermines fundamental freedom and dignity and replaces the free life with the bound life. In Auberon's own words, the rights of self-ownership are supreme moral rights which come before all else. To do anything regarding another person, we must first have their consent. It must be voluntary, thus the name voluntarism. Force and fraud are out of the question. No one has the right to command another person as if they were their master. Fraud is merely the cunning cousin of force. Stealing from another person or using fake money has the same outcome. The ignoring of another person's consent and forcing them merely to be a pawn in your own schemes. We cannot force people to bend to our wills for our plans, no matter how grand or wonderful they might be. Persuasion is the tool of a rational person. On the other hand, Auburn described direct compulsion by whoever so exercised is only remnant of that barbarous state when emperors and dominant churches use men according to their own ideas. But if intervening in other people's lives is a fundamentally unjust endeavour, what role is there, if any, for the state to provide goods and services? Auburn's answer is that the state's role should be strictly limited. He believed that there was no wholly justifiable reason for the state to exist, but when restricted to a limited role, it could be described as a justifiable usurpation. The state's proper role was to defend rights and property, and all too often, Auburn believed the state was attempting to solve issues of indirect force. For Auburn, there are two kinds of force, direct force and indirect force. Direct force is quite simple. I threaten you with force to get what I want. Indirect force is slightly more complex. Auburn gives an example of an employee and an employer. He says, the employer may be indirectly forced to accept the workman's offer, or the workman may be indirectly forced to accept the employer's offer, but before either does so, it is necessary that they should consent. Indirect force can be summarized as necessity. I need to work, I need to have a job, I need to buy things. These are facts of life, no matter how difficult they may be. We work jobs we do not like to earn a living. We would rather not do certain things, but indirect force makes certain actions a necessity. Auburn believed that the state is employed often to solve issues of indirect force by using direct force. He argues that, usually due to the limited creativity of state action, this would not succeed and would merely add direct force to the problem of indirect force. He advised that we use the brute force of laws simply to restrain violence and certain coarse forms of fraud, and trust to voluntarism, the true instrument of civilization, for all other things. Akin to Herbert Spencer, Auburn was a keen advocate of progress. All humans have a duty to better themselves and the world around them. But how can we best carry out this task? Auburn's answer was by leaving people alone. Government for Auburn was a creatively limited machine. It had the means, but no real ideas of its own. Government policies replaced the collective imagination and problem-solving skills of millions of people through their policies. Before, we might have thousands of minds working to solve an issue, but government intervention replaced them all with great universal systems or one particular mind. Wherever the state touches, it strips away creativity, ingenuity, and diversity, the prerequisites for progress. Auburn believed that progress could only be achieved by humanity at large being free to experiment and try new things on their own dime and effort. The state's reserve of near unlimited funds through debt and forced taxation means it has no real reason to innovate or fix issues in any creative manner. Instead, more money could always be forced into the coffers to hopefully revitalize the process. But Auburn's most venomous criticism is reserved for those in power, mainly the wealthy people he grew up around. The aristocratic political class in Auburn's mind had a desire to win the great game of politics. 
Seeing Parliament firsthand, he believed that almost all hearts were filled with the old corrupting desire to possess that evil, mocking gift of power and to use it in their own imagined interest. Politicians could not possibly represent the people who elected them. Electorates are not monoliths of opinion. They're individual people with their own concerns. Knowing this, politicians gain the favour of special groups and promise them the fruits of the state if they offer their support. In short, politics is merely a game of power and subversion played by rich people with too much time on their hands. The greatest crime of government was taxation, which he described as the very citadel of compulsion, the chief instrument by which every encroachment is carried out. Taxation is always backed by the threat of coercion, which is the complete opposite of consent, which was to the mark of a peaceful society. Taxation makes us look at our fellow neighbours as means to an end, not dignified human beings worthy of respect. But beyond this, taxes have numerous practical issues. They tend to hit smaller businesses harder than larger corporations. The increasing complexity of Victorian England meant that tax laws were also filled to the brim with exemptions, exceptions and special cases, which were all to be decided arbitrarily in favour of some products at the expense of others. Increases in taxes also led to increases in evasion, resulting in a war of evasions and reprisals between public and a huge army of officials. Forced taxation also made it easier to wage war. If only those who agreed to the war raised the cash, Auburn believed this would probably be the best way to guarantee universal peace. In short, for all the reasons Auburn listed, forced taxation is, and I quote, the great typical enemy of the voluntary action. Despite how anarchist he might sound, Auburn was no anarchist. As he repeatedly pointed out, he was a voluntarist. In his own words, he was in favour of some form of state, albeit a greatly limited one. Auburn's state would be funded not through force, but by voluntary taxation. And this at first sounds a bit like a joke, because who would ever want to pay their taxes voluntarily? But Auburn argued that under a voluntary system alone, can a nation live in peace and friendship and work together happily, profitably, for common ends? Without the force of the state, people could fund whatever they liked. Projects, services, initiatives, not only for their own benefit, but as a point of pride and civic virtue. State could propose plans and people could contribute what they agreed with, and not contribute what they disliked. Under voluntary taxation, people would provide for the undertakings that they felt were important to them personally. Whether that consists of funding the arts or providing relief for the local poor. Most importantly, voluntary taxation would change people's way of viewing the state and politics in general. Our great object, Auburn explained, must be to wholly change the attitude of the state towards the people, and with it our own feelings towards the state. True civic duty and true charity would only emerge once coercion had been minimised in any society. Anyone who helped their fellow man, but would do so out of their own kindness, not due to the will of another. Patriotism does not consist in blindly submitting to a nation, but instead contributing alongside your fellow citizens for the common good. But the state does so much. If Auburn thought the state was overbearing in his day, the government today would give him a heart attack. How could we ever imagine a prosperous life without the state? Auburn believed that the state first and foremost protected rights and property, and would play an important role in sanitation, environmental issues, and education. But apart from these areas, voluntary associations through markets, unions, associations, clubs, friendly societies, charities, and cooperatives could all fill the void left by the formerly coercive state. Human creativity could finally be unleashed. All too often, libertarians can sound like cranky old men who just want to be left alone. But Auburn is the exact opposite of this caricature. He did not want a society of atomized individuals living in bubbles. Instead, he believed, our work is to make this life of ours prosperous, happy, and beautiful for all who share in it, working with the instruments of liberty, peace, and friendship. 
Auburn was actually quite excited and optimistic about the future of humanity. I'd like to touch quickly and briefly on just the character of the person he was. Auburn was an eccentric and brilliant man. Expounding the principles of volunteerism was not his only project, though it was his main interest. He was also an avid cyclist who believed bikes would allow the poor to travel more than they ever had before. His love for nature is enshrined by a rare law he enacted in Parliament protecting birds during mating season, as conservation work in relation to the countryside forests. His love of nature was also so strong he refused to take part in his family's animal shooting events, which would have been big gatherings for aristocrats. This might sound a little odd, but Auburn was also an early advocate of pyjamas and looser linen clothing for health purposes and the poor. On top of all this, Auburn even wrote his own children's book under a pseudonym. Unlike his original inspiration, Auburn Herbert never lost sight of his love for life and all its wonder, variety, and beauty. Today, Auburn's essays are easily available online, and I do recommend that you read them. They provide an imaginative and polemic argument for replacing the state. But Auburn called the way of force was to be substituted for the way of peace. In this short episode, I haven't even scraped the surface of Auburn's thought. He offers original thoughts on sanitation, education, international affairs, all in a voluntary state. If you're looking for somewhere to start, you should check out his creative essay, The Ethics of Dynamite, which I can't spoil here because it's too good. Auburn had faith in human creativity and moral progress under a regime of equals. Detractors of libertarianism usually accuse libertarians of being callous people who wish to usher in regimes of atomized people without a sense of solidarity leading to a greedy society of ruthless exploitation and an endless hunt for profits. This is not what Auburn wanted at all. He did not want atomized individuals ruthlessly competing for scraps of profit. He believed it was in fact the state that was obstructing the path to harmonious cooperation, solidarity and prosperity. Worse still, that the forceful hand of the state distorts moral values by using force. Forced patriotism through wars, forced moderation through paternalistic policies, and forced piety through state support of religion, and so on. True virtue can only be practiced by a free people. Auburn was one of the most foremost libertarians in his day, but by now his name, while not forgotten, is rarely evoked. But his arguments are timeless, and his thoughts are just as applicable today as they were in Victorian England and possibly even more relevant to our modern world, infested with bureaucracies, excessive regulation, paternalistic policies, and harsh punishments for victimless crimes. I think there is really something for everyone in the joy of reading Auburn Herbert, and I hope today that I've convinced you to give him a go. Thanks, Mill, for listening. I hope you enjoyed this podcast, and if you did, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you may listen to podcasts. Visit the website www.auburnherbert.com libertarianism.org to find more podcasts like this one. I hope to see you next time.